You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There's a table covered with your mail, your office work, a laptop, maybe a leftover plate from your lunch. Your keys and bag are on a chair along with your kid's favorite toy or maybe a cardboard box containing your latest online order. Does this sound familiar? Yeah, we're right there too. In this moment, so many of us are working from home a lot more. And to have a job is certainly a privilege in and of itself, but still there's a new kind of work grind emerging as we all work from home. The lines between personal and professional time are getting really blurry, and it's hard to unwind when the office and the dining room table are one in the same. So what's the toll of this new normal on our minds and on our bodies? What's the toll on our social lives and on our finances? Here to talk with us about these issues, which she explores in a new piece in The Atlantic, is Amanda Mull, staff writer with the publication. Amanda, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So while so many of us are working from home for the first time, you actually took the plunge back in 2009. So tell us a little about your own personal history with this working from home phenomenon. Yes, I graduated from college in 2008, which was a really inauspicious time. (laughs) Not a great, not a great year to be looking for a job, right? (laughs) No, it wasn't great. I was lucky enough to get a job immediately out of college, but um, in 2008, but then 2009 happened, the bottom fell out of the economy, and I, like an untold number of other people, got laid off. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for more work, and I found uh, a fashion website that needed someone to, to write blog posts for them. This was in the the golden age of blogging. Um, (laughs) And so I started doing that. The owners of the website lived in Florida. I lived in Georgia at the time. Uh, The fashion industry, of course, is based in New York. So we were all sort of at a distance from each other and from the the things that we were working on. Um, And I did that for several years. Uh, I lived in Georgia for two years, and then I moved to New York, but the website was still based in Florida. So um, so I ended up working from home in my bedroom for uh, for about five years before I ever started going into an office in any capacity. And wow. then I worked in an office for that company for a couple of years, and then I started working home for, the, for them again. So it was, it's a total of about eight years at the beginning of my career um, that I just worked entirely from home. Wow. Wow. And... What would you say that uh, that experience taught you about about work and home, the balance between the two, the boundaries that should exist between the two? I mean, you've had a really different experience with it than most of us. Yeah, the there there are of course some positive things about working from home. There's no commute. You you save that time. Um, you save money on work clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and makeup right. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, time doing your hair because nobody sees you. Um, but what I realized is that it was it was going to be hard for me to advance very much if I just kept working from home. I was in my 20s. I was, you know, spending a lot of time by myself. Uh, most of the people who worked in my industry lived in a different city. It was very hard to make professional connections. It was very hard to make friends, there weren't any people to sort of 
uh, idly complain about the, you know, day-to-day indignities of of labor (laughs) with. So you miss out on a lot of that sort of unquantifiable connection with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is an important part of, of human existence and human labor at any time during during life. But especially when you're just starting out, um, that sort of builds the social foundation of a career. Uh, those little interactions that you have with people going to happy hour, uh, you know, sitting next to each other in the kitchen to, to eat lunch, mm-hmm. things like that uh, are not typically the things we think about when we think about professional advancement, but they're, it turns out they're very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. So now in 2020, there are millions of us who are experiencing the whole work from home phenomenon for the first time. And of course, it's not necessarily by choice. I mean, there's this terrible pandemic that is adding stress and, and anxiety to people's lives in the first place. And now they've also got a Got to work from home. Uh, You write that, quote, the longer people spend editing spreadsheets or taking conference calls at the kitchen table, the more obvious it is that workers lose far more than physical space when they lose their office. Uh, Tell us what you think workers are losing out on right now by working from home. What is it that uh, that's happening to us because we're we're not in the office together, and because our home has become the workplace. Well, I think you miss uh, a couple of things when you when you convert suddenly and and for, for many people against their will to a, an entirely work from home model. Um, I, I think that you lose some of the some of the psychological separation between work and not work. Um, one of my favorite things about going into an office in the job I have now is that the office is where I work and the home, my home is where I am at home and, and where I relax. And having that physical separation between the two mm-hmm. is meaningful in a way that I, I, I think that some people who really like working from home discount. Mm-hmm. Um, you get a physical separation. You get it, it becomes easier to focus for a lot of people, I think, when you're at the place where you're supposed to work. Like there's just all these psychological cues that – that help you uh, change uh, change moods, change modes. Um, but when all of that happens in the same place, uh, you know, you you save the commute time, but you might just end up working straight into the evening or straight mm-hmm. into dinner time in a way that you wouldn't have if you had had to, you know, close your laptop, get up, get in a car, and drive home, or get on the train and go home. Um, so I think that you lose that separ- that sort of church and state separation in your life for a lot of people. Um, I also think that you lose the the sort of pressure relief valve of the the office social hmm. um, social world. Uh, you know, if you're going to the going to the kitchen to get a coffee refill, you miss being able to stop for five minutes and chat with the coworker from across the office who is also there getting a refill. You miss, um, you know, heading out to lunch at the same time as someone else and, and deciding to go with them. You miss all of these little things. Uh, you miss, you know, sitting in a conference room with somebody and when your boss says something a little bit silly or a, a little bit um, dumb, being able to, you know, look out of the corner of your eye at the person next to you and sort of get that shared recognition of, of somebody messing up a little bit or somebody saying something funny or making a joke. Uh, and I think that it, it's easy to uh, 
discount the value of those things, that they are things that keep a lot of people sort of psychologically humming uh, in the, the sort of cycle of, of work and work and personal time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you, you miss that, you can't schedule those interactions on Zoom. You can't schedule sort of a sideways look at somebody across the conference table on Zoom. Um, so you miss a lot of that, like, uh, body language stuff. You miss the little breaks. Uh, and I think that's really important for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have found that working at home and I, you know, I still get to come to the studio every day to do the show, but the rest of the day I am, I am at home like most other people and, and trying to, to get work done there. You know, there, there is a, an emotional response to that, that I, I think I didn't, anticipate um and in some ways it's an emo- it's an it's a positive emotional response like i like the the ability to work at home and you know the lack of the commute and and being able to dress however i i might like but i also feel like i'm becoming more antisocial and and as the world has started to kind of reopen uh, as we get control of the of the pandemic I find myself resisting a return to some of the interactions that before I might have said that I that I really liked. I mean, it's almost uh, it's almost as if I'm getting too accustomed to work at home and isolation. And and I I wonder if that's happening for me. If that's another kind of phenomenon that lots of other people uh, might be experiencing. I think that is pretty common. Um, Social skills are a muscle. You have to work them. You have to exercise (laughs) them. And when you don't go through those motions, when you when you let those skills lapse, uh, getting them back and and getting in the routine of using them is, you know, like going back to the gym. Um, So I I think that as as people become more isolated and they become more used to their isolation, uh, the psychological barriers to getting back to uh, a, a more normal work routine socially becomes a little bit difficult. Like, I, I feel the same way. I live, I live in New York, and I would really like for it to be safe to, to go back to the office. I'm a, I'm a social person, but mm-hmm. the, the prospect of getting back on the subway and having to manage all of those little uh, split-second social interactions and then going back to the office and then just feeling overwhelmed by all the people there are to see and talk to and uh, and and catch up with is, like, feels a little bit intimidating to me right now, <laughs> um, even though I, I have found ways to be, like, safely social during during lockdown, uh, thanks to outdoor space. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that the longer this goes on, the, the stranger it will feel to return to those routines and the more that we will have to, like, work those social muscles um, on the front end when, yeah. when things return, return to uh, something closer to normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Amanda Mall, a staff writer at The Atlantic. We're talking about all of the work at home experience that we are now getting because of the pandemic. So many of us have turned kitchen tables or living rooms into our offices and we've lost the social interaction and the professional interaction that comes with the office. We're talking about what that does to us and what we might do to try to get back to the real world once it can actually uh, reopen. Um, Amanda, I, I, I want to talk a little about the differences for 
men and women, which is something that you you talk about for this this work at home uh, experience. Uh, talk about what role gender plays in sort of the the, the power uh, dynamics that, that that are at work and the stakes that uh, that that there are in 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 all of this. I think that in the last couple of generations, women in the in the traditional workplace have made a lot of strides, have, mm-hmm. have gained a lot of ground, but there are still these little assumptions that that uh, management and, and bosses can make about people and their work performance and their dedication based on their gender or based on other things about their identities. For women, uh, you get a lot of assumptions uh, in, in workplaces that, that women are de facto not as committed to their work as their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. Uh some of that is because a lot of bosses still expect women to have children and maybe leave the workforce or uh, just not not be as single-minded about their work after they have children and when they have a family to take care of. So, you know, fair or not, um, women, even in traditional situations, uh, when people were still going to offices, were often assumed not to be as dedicated, even if they're even if they spent just as much time at work as their male counterparts, even if they uh, did work of just as high of a quality. Mm. So when you have that dynamic existing already, and then suddenly everyone is at home and no one is able to put in the face time that, that ensures people that they are dedicated, that they are loyal, that they are working hard, um, you get an exacerbation of that unfair assumption. You, you get people who whether they realize it or not, are assuming that women are doing the bulk of the childcare, assuming that women are uh, homeschooling their kids on Zoom, uh, and, and just not paying attention to their work duties. Yeah. Uh, part of that is because somebody has to homeschool the kids on Zoom these days, uh, and bosses assume it will be women. So you you get a lot of unfair penalties uh, against working working women, even if they don't have kids. Uh, because the assumptions already exist that uh, that those employees will will be less dedicated and, and not work quite as hard, uh, and then you combine that with the pandemic circumstances of childcare, mm-hmm. uh, and you you put working women and working mothers, especially, in a really difficult place where they there's not really anything that they can do to completely overcome these assumptions if their bosses are making them. Yeah, and and it strikes me that this is one of the potential long term consequences of all of this. I mean, some of some of what's going on now, we can very easily undo and just go back to what we were doing before. But this kind of dynamic could really affect people's careers and their lives for, for many years. Right. I think that uh, one of the one of the things that's important to understand about how we how we approach professional life right now is that this period of pandemic uh, unrest cannot be extricated from the larger narrative arc of people's lives and careers. Mm-hmm. What happens now is going to is going to put all kinds of people on particular paths uh, for their professional and financial lives. Um, for women, that means uh, you know changing the course of potential promotions, of, of potential advancement in the workplace, potential raises. Uh, if you spend six months or a year with your boss you know, perhaps unfairly assuming that, that you're not as engaged as your male coworkers, then how does that affect your trajectory at that company 
forever mm-hmm. for the rest for the rest of your employment there? How does that affect your ability to to get a new job somewhere else uh, and move up that way? Uh, and I think that that's going to happen for women in the workplace. But I, I think that those effects are going to be seen in one way or another for a lot of people, uh, younger workers, too. Um, who are trying to establish themselves. We know from the 2008 uh, recession that uh, trying to start a career in in the midst of (laughs) financial uh, and and economic upheaval, um, you know, charts your course for years to come. It's going to be hard for for most of those people to make up the difference uh, in their long-term financial futures uh, from what they might have seen if they had if they had entered the workforce in in times of of relative stability sure. and and higher pay, yeah, uh, I mean, I want to talk about what will happen or what we should be concerned about happening if this goes on for a long time. Uh, there are there are companies that have now decided, for instance, that all of twenty twenty one, not just twenty twenty will be work from home for their employees. And I think that there are also uh, people who have discovered that uh, there's there's just more efficiencies from, from this way of work than from offices. So if we're not going to go all the way back to the world we had before, what are the things we should be thinking about in terms of mitigating some of the downsides uh, of all of this? If, if we're going to be doing it, maybe forever. Well, the good news is that the, the experts that I've spoken to for, for this story and for other stories over the, the past few months believe that it will be relatively rare for companies to decide that everyone will work from home forever. Um, I think that there is still some upside for companies in having physical offices and having uh, physical interactions between their, between their employees and among their workforce. So even for companies that play this very conservatively and uh, and allow their employees to, to stay at home until, until you know, everybody's vaccinated and until we have a much better handle on the safety situation, I think that you're going to see eventually a return to work for, for most people who want to return to work mm-hmm. and for probably a lot of people who don't. Um, hopefully what might come out of that, and I, I think that this is far more likely and it, it, it has some upsides for both employers and employees, is just a little bit more flexibility in, in deciding to work from home or deciding to come into the office. Mm-hmm. I think that the ideal for a lot of people is to have several days in the office and then the flexibility per week and then the flexibility to stay home for a day or two. If you, uh, depending on the type type of work you're doing in a particular week or on a particular day, um, there are research suggests that there are some types of work that are done much better in the office and some types of work that are done much better from home. If you need to do something that is is repetitive and requires focus, um, and and doesn't benefit from you you know interacting with people around you, then mm-hmm. that might be a day that you you know, stay home, keep your head down and and try to plow through that work. Uh, If you need to collaborate, if you need to set up a presentation with several of your coworkers, if you need to discuss problem solving measures, those things are better done in person. Um, To mitigate those, those difficulties uh, with that kind of work in the meantime, but until we get back into the office, um, 
I think the employers are going to get have to get very creative mm-hmm. about how they use the technological tools at their disposal. Um, Zoom, of course, has been has been helpful for a lot of people, but it's, it's also stressful. Um, Slack uh, applications like that 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 increase uh, communication during the workday when everybody is remote. I think that finding new ways to to give employees not just a way to communicate about work, but a way to communicate about other things and a way to see their coworkers uh, in ways that are about not necessarily uh, productivity and efficiency, but about having a psychological break from work, mm-hmm. um, whether that's setting up a, a Zoom that is just open all day and that people can drop in and say hi to whoever else is taking a coffee break. Um, I've heard of companies doing that. I've heard of companies uh, setting up Slack rooms that are that are built for the same thing for people to to drop in fun links and funny things uh, for people to to enjoy and chat about together. Um, I, I think that trying to find ways to bring some of that serendipity back to people's uh, day-to-day lives will be helpful. Um, in the meantime, while we try to get to a place where it's safer for people to be in offices together, mm-hmm. um, and I think that. At the beginning of this, a lot of people figured it would be sort of an on-off switch, like there would be a day in which in which things go back to normal, in which it is safe. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that I think this is going to be more of a transition over time. So finding ways to implement like some of these changes that, that allow uh, a, a little bit of of serendipity and a little bit of, of mental break uh, among coworkers is going to to be important as we transition back to bringing some people back to the office, bringing people back to the office uh, in in staggered ways or or in smaller groups. Um, So I think that all of these strategies are going to have to sort of work together over time uh, until we get to a place that is something more closely approximating normalcy. Yeah. I mean, one of the big questions I think about all all of the changes that we've had to make during the pandemic is, what things are accommodations that we need to make and what things are opportunities to rethink the things that we were doing before. In other words, uh, you know, maybe everything that we were doing before didn't work as, as well as we thought it did. And there are chances to, to make things better. I think work is, is one of those things where we probably need to do a lot of hard thinking about those questions. Are there things about the changes that we've made that we that we just want to keep because uh, because they're better? Right. I think that going forward, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to spend less time in conference rooms Mm -hmm. talking about things that could have been an email. Um, I I think that the. uh, I'm hoping at least that that all of this has taught us uh, ways to handle things that are that are perhaps more efficient that are that are perhaps uh through different channels than they might have been handled traditionally um i know that a lot of people spend a lot of time sitting in conference rooms in white collar or knowledge work jobs uh just listening to other people talk in ways that are not necessarily productive and not necessarily helpful to anybody uh in the room including the people doing the talking so I, I think being forced out of those interactions and being forced to reconsider them has some potential upsides. As long as uh, managers are willing to realize that we don't have to go back to exactly the way that we were doing things before. 
Okay, Amanda Mall, staff writer at The Atlantic, was really wonderful to have you here with us for this conversation. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for us today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.